0: Hello, and welcome to the Four Color Nerds Comics Podcast, Episode 88. It's pretty crazy. I'm Matt, and I'm joined by the other nerds, Ryan. Hello. And Carissa. Hey, yeah. Together we take on this week's comics. Each week, we read a variety of comics and gather here to discuss them. This is a review show, so there will be spoilers. If you do not want to hear spoilers, take a break now and go read your week's books, and then come back. Each week... One of us picks their favorite book, and that's our pick of the week. This week, I am that nerd, and the pick of the week goes to Generations, Iron Man and Ironheart number one. Our companion song is Walk on Water by Ozzy Osbourne, because, well, the song is, uh, I don't know what he intended it to be about, and I don't know that Ozzy actually <laughs> knows what he intended it to be about. But its uh, it basically goes, uh, I met a magic man who had a daughter, um... In this issue of Generations, it's actually unlike all the rest. Being in the past, this one's in the future, and Tony has basically found uh, that you know the the truth that magic and science are basically the same thing, um, and he becomes the Sorcerer Supreme. Um, and uh, Riri is kind of like his in, in this whole Generations scheme, uh, kind of like his daughter in the story, or the idea. Uh, and I just thought it kind of meshed well. Uh, let's go ahead and take a listen.
1: As we forbidden fruits and things I her.
2: You also can't go wrong matching up Iron Man and Ozzy Osborn. They have a connection.
0: Yeah. I also had that point. <laughs> I was I was thinking about making that, but I'm like. Eh, because technically that song's not about Iron Man. This week, uh, the pick of the week, as I said before, is Generations, Iron Man and Ironheart by Marvel Comics. The Iron, written by Brian Michael Bendis, pencils by Marco Rudy, Simon Kudransky, and Nico Leon. Inks by Simon Kudransky, Will Sliney, Scott Koblish, and Nico Leon. This is the next in the series of generations books that, uh, was as we found out, uh, was it last week, or the week before, um, that Kobik basically sent everybody who was kind of gathered around there and had gotten blinked out of existence, gave him or gave them all this little checkout, I guess, or um, a little chance to basically kind of reconnect and learn a lesson, which. I guess is good. The, some of the books have been good, some of them not so great, in my personal opinion, anyways. Um, but I, I really love this one. I've been a Iron Man fan for a while. Um, I always tend to like the super scientist superheroes, uh, and Tony's a technologist. He's made you know bad decisions in his life and good decisions. Uh, but I also I actually like Riri. Uh, there was a lot of kind of hubbub when she was introduced, but I think she's her own character and she's actually pretty awesome at it
2: I think she's a real good example of Marvel doing that with their new heroes
0: wow oh, she's really good I, I'm impressed by her yeah she's she's the way you do it right and they I mean they they're not even like, oh, well, we're replacing him. He's still there, and she's there, and she's literally a generational character. She's like, I'm inspired by that character, uh, and now I'm going to... or that hero, and I'm I'm building off of it instead of just, we're replacing it like that. So I'm like, this is a character that people will complain about because people are assholes, but they really have no fucking right to even more than they wouldn't have any right to otherwise. Riri's a great character.
2: And she's, she's different from Tony, so she does stand on her own she's not like you know just a younger version of tony she has very distinct differences
1: from him Her whole upbringing is completely different than him
0: yeah her upbringing is completely different she's got a different mentality on the world she doesn't exactly see eye to eye with him on everything um but she still sees him as a a kind of a mentor kind of a, a weird i don't know it's Technically, kind of like the father figure, but only in that legacy sort of way. Um, that she knows that he's, you know, a badass at his thing, but also that he's a bit fucked up in the head. It's it's kind of feels like the Kate and uh, asshole. Can't even bring yourself uh, to say his name. Or relationship. He's a fuckhead. Um, <laughs> Clint motherfucking Barton. Um, mm-hmm. That that kind of relationship where it's just like okay. This is who I'm taking after. He's got a bit of a tarnished record. I'm going to do better. Uh, But, you know, my life isn't exactly perfect itself either, so let's go from here. So, I I really like Riri as a a character. Um, But she kind of hit the ground running. She's never been, like, had to get good at this game kind of thing. They wrote her well from the very start, and I'm pretty appreciative of that. This book, though, basically starts off with her uh, kind of not knowing what the hell's going on pretty much like everybody in, who has popped into the Generations books. But even like her armor isn't really working correctly. She's not getting any feedback, anything off of the suit. Um, so she's just falling out of the sky, uh, which kind of rude of Copic to put her in the middle of the sky. But she lands, and everything is just weird. It feels weird. She's breathing the air, and everything seems really clean. It tastes good. And then she meets the younger, 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 younger <laughs> Avengers, Um, it's a bunch of, uh, obviously, Avengers-type characters, but they're not the Avengers at all. Um, it looks like, uh, let's see, we've got a Cap, we've got a Thor, we've got, um, Black Panther, uh, I can't tell who's up on the hill, but there's a Gambit-looking kid.
1: He did look like Gambit to me, too, okay, it wasn't just me and my fandom of Gambit. Well, I think with the the purple, maybe,
2: and he looks like he's holding something. I think he's supposed to be be like Hawkeye. Hawkeye.
1: But but the way that they drew the weird, like, coif thing, it totally looked like Gambit. (laughs) Yep.
0: Um, So she's basically like, well, what's going on? They're like, you're the Riri Williams? And, and, you know, she faints out, um, falls down, and then she wakes up in a nice comfy bed, and you see, as you scream you know go down the page you see the doctor strange cloak in the background you see somebody who looks like doctor strange but with a bunch of little iron man mini droid things kind of hovering around and he's got a uh, you know a poor york with her helmet um uh, just kind of hovering there in space and he turns you know gray hair looks kind of uh wizened and Merliny. uh so we're like oh it's Why is she meeting up with Doctor Strange? But then you find out, nope, this is Tony Stark in the future. Uh, Finally, you know, somehow 126 years old. Um, So it's that kind of utopian future that the Avengers are supposed to help bring about. And you can see that he's got technology kind of interwoven in with the magic. Even on his hands, and he's got little circuitry and everything all through him.
1: It's that line, like from Thor, where "Where I come from, magic and, and science are the same."
0: It's also a, a Asimov uh, ripoff. offs not really a good term, but it, it kind of comes from there. Is any sufficiently advanced civilization will look like magic to a non sufficiently advanced civilization?
1: Mm. I, just, in my, I, me, I was just more amused I'm like. Tony just took the facial hair bro things just way too far, and he's <laughs> a white female. Stephen, <laughs>
0: <laughs> <be> weird. Stephen's <laughs> like, hey, now "You're getting weird.
1: Why are you? Why did you move into the Sanctum Centorum?
0: <laughs> why, why, why are you wearing my clothes?"
1: <laughs> I don't know, That's just what I thought I was highly amused by that. Sorry, that's where I took this when I was reading it.
0: No, I, I thought it was fantastic. Um, but he basically, you know, they they have a little bit of a conversation, and he's like, "Well, let's see what we can do to fix this for you," and. The whole book is basically this kind of uh, tour of, you know, how perfect the world uh, will be uh, based upon the efforts of the, you know, the Avengers. Basically her, uh, doc, you know, Dr. Stranger, <laughs> as mm-hmm. they call him later. Um, it, there's, you know, they're basically, we find out that the Avengers become a galactic presence in the future. Uh, they're, you know, everywhere. There are other cultures give us things that basically just eat up our pollution which is why the air tastes so weird um and then you know at a, a certain point they're flying through and, and morgana lafay pops up and he's like no nope, stop it and she's like where did you get that and it's like no fighting at all or anything he was just prepared in a way that you know tony stark likes to just be prepared for things he's like batman in metal armor um but in this way he he'd already had uh what was it called Uh, a shard of the Odin's daughter um so which is funny that he sent Thor's daughter on a quest to get the shard of the Odin's daughter because she's (laughs) the Odin's granddaughter (laughs) so um they basically land uh you know they're going through they see the kid Avengers again uh, and they're just going on their, their little trip and we get to see Franklin Richards back in the fucking 616.
1: Uh, the Panther kid is totally making the goo-goo he eyes. reminds me a little uh, bit
2: of uh, Cho in his trying to hit on everybody. He's a little smoother than Cho, though.
1: But then,
0: it's a little weirder, though, because it it's doesn't kind he say, of implied.
1: Like, he, she would be her own grandmother or something like that?
0: Yes, it was kind of implied that she marries um, Black Panther. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> Especially with... with uh, to whatever his name is um in the future to uh, okay no t'challa is the black panther i was making a joke about this kid's name probably being to right. something because mm. was t'challa's father and anyways um so they're flying along and then they basically get to franklin richards and i don't really like how they had him drawn i think it's too correct yeah. Um, it, it's, it's like a technically correct drawing, it's just, it looks a little kind of weird, and the beard just kind of... <laughs> I am creepy. glad to see
2: him back, though.
0: Um, it's
2: time for the Fantastic Four to make their return. I am. I hope to God they bring them
0: back. So, it's so time. I fucking miss the Fantastic Four so much.
1: Well, weren't you the ones saying that they're, they they have not been really pushing it, or building books yeah. for it, because they don't own the rights, and they don't want to basically build I up think, the marketing for a I think Spider-Man company, might have cracked that
2: problem, though, because they saw potentially this is my theory how profitable it can be to work together so
1: i was having that exact conversation with someone today or this weekend in line at disneyland was saying like i really hope with sony doing that then seeing how well it's worked for sony that well it made me think about that too back
2: in the last issue of um secret empire they had a whole thing about that fantastic four being essential to marvel history so I think those are little signposts telling us we're going to get them soon. I hope.
0: I'm hoping that we at least get them in the comics. I don't really have much hope for seeing them in the movies. Faye himself kind of said look, I'm I'm not even trying. I don't care. And Fox loves shooting themselves in the fucking foot, like, repeatedly. So, I don't have much hope in seeing the Fantastic Four. I I, I would love it to happen, but if it happens, it's just going to be kind of like whipped cream and and a cherry on top, but it's... I'm not going to be depressed if it doesn't happen, because I just kind of had to seal that away <laughs> I, I hate that there's no fantastic four but at the same point in time i really feel that the marvel universe needs to completely reboot so i'd be happy if the reboot and the fantastic four comes back that way but uh but at least we get a little glimpse of, of franklin here and hopefully this is a sign that at least sometime relatively soon we're going to get the the richards back because that yes. the marvel universe needs them the, the stories, they just, they need the existence of the Fantastic Four. But they basically land, and Franklin's like, I don't have a time machine. I It's, you know, buried. there's We're going to have to go through hell to get to it. Uh, and there's apparently a venom pit, which is a terrifying thought.
1: Yeah, I thought that too. I thought was like, oh my, I'm, i was, oh I'm both intrigued and frightened.
0: Yeah, but, uh, but Tony had basically started to kind of put a thought into her head that the whole reason that she was here was just to just to learn a lesson. Um And at that point, during that whole conversation while they were doing that, apparently she was thinking and the lesson just kind of clicked. And you see her fade back and she's in the middle of Chicago. Uh, her suit comes back online, but it's like, what? what I feel weird. <laughs> and, uh, you know, she flies back to her little base. The AI Tony is just kind of hovering there. And then she you see her at the very end of it with her VR goggles on. And she's working on one of those little kind of hover droids because now she knows that you know, not only does the future turn out good, she helps and she's a major part of helping it become the utopia that she saw in that. Uh, and that's that's kind of why I picked it. I, I love the futurism of uh, Iron Man and the whole Iron Man franchise. Um, and I like I like how they did this. It was really fun. Uh, it wasn't. I mean, it was without having to be like sad or depressing or to think it was uplifting and happy and i think that that's something that's kind of needed in the marvel universe so I, I i really enjoyed this one um as a iron man fan and just as a marvel fan i thought it was really well done what did you guys think
1: i actually really like this one. well one like i told you i mentioned earlier i was just really amused by the idea of tony just like taking over steven and trying to you know be steven in like his way i like the idea of the yeah the um the kind of tie in between other um, books like Thor, where he said, you know, science and magic are the same on Asgard. And so that's kind of replaced here. And we see like a, a future version of that. Um, I like the nod. Like I, with the, her being her own grandmother, very um nice play on that. I like, I just really enjoy it. I love their interactions. I like that um tony who's normally sometimes someone who would have shoved something he's kind of a shoved down your throat kind of thing with his ideas and his opinions he wasn't really doing that like maybe he's learned his lesson and he, he has evolved and changed and you know and this that riri this her I, like we were saying she's her own person even though they she does fit that she um figured things out on her own and she's kind of mature in a way and learned the lesson you know on her like she like everything she built the armor started it up the armor on her own she did this she figured it out on her own didn't really need to have it hand handed to her and i really like that and then this at the end where it comes together where she's building those little companion bots was this really cute i just i really liked it i thought it was well done
2: yeah i really like this book too i thought first of all the art on this the person who did the layouts for this they're doing so much work on here They're giving you more in the art than they need to give you to just tell you the story. And that helps lend to the kind of otherworldly sense that it has. Like the coloring is so unusual in here and bright and vivid, which helps set that kind of hopeful, futuristic tone. But that's still slightly weird because everything looks like an alien, you know, world that they're on. So I really like the art in here. I love the way they draw Riri. Uh, except for like the last page like the literal last panel of this book she looks like dog shit in that panel but in all the other ones she looks amazing and you get a lot of panels like close-ups of her eyes and there's one where her eyes kind of go like gray where she has that realization i really liked those panels i i liked also the kind of reverse of the generations thing where in this case Tony is trying to protect the past, unlike the other ones where the person who's learning the lesson is learning from a person who's further back in time than them. So they're trying to protect the past in that way, that he's trying to shield information from her. I like that. I feel like this is kind of like in Star Trek when they're trying to figure out how to beam an object from a ship in warp speed to another ship in warp speed, and they think it's impossible, but then they're told they, they did it, so they now know that it's possible, and then they're able to figure it out. So I thought that was kind of some of the things they're doing here or like doing an inception for Riri that, you know, she's got some ideas from the future that now she knows what seems impossible is possible.
1: I thought it was funny that she didn't freak out. She's like, hey, you're dead. Or like, you're awake now. That's weird. <laughs> I also like that
2: Tony understood the, what the Cosmic Cube was kind of doing. He's like, oh, yes, you must be in a almost like a trance state where you're not going to be freaked out by what's going on, that you can just enjoy what's happening to you right now. Almost like a telling the readers, chill out, <laughs> don't worry about this, this is an out-of-time, out-of-space story, so just yeah. enjoy it for what it is. So I like that. Um, yeah, I thought this was a really good Generations book.
0: I thought so. Uh, are you guys ready to vote it up?
1: Mm-hmm. All right.
0: um, I Like I said, I really liked it. I'm going to give it four of those little floating droid things.
1: I gave, oh, wait, you see, you see those little droid things? Yep. Damn it. Um, <laughs> I'm going to give it four and a half Venom Pits. I will give it for
0: the future. Oh, snap. That was well done.
2: Yeah, that was pretty so. cool.
0: So that that was the future, but now we're going to go ahead and go to the past. Isn't that right, Carissa?
1: That's right. Batman, number 30, DC Comics. The Ballad of Kite Man, Part Two. Written by Tom King. Pencils by Clay Man. Inks by Seth Man. Colors by Jordy Belair. Hell yeah. Okay. So it starts off with the Joker side, and it ha- we see Kite Man, and he's talking to Tweedles and. Well, I guess, are they both Tweedles Yeah, Yeah, Tweedledee and Tweedledum. Two big Tweedledum, yeah. And penguins wandering around, and they're Kite Man saying how he fought um, Batman. And he's like, oh, he hit me, you know, like in the face and like. It hurts, and there's like and that goes back to that part, and there's some nice artwork. But then there's there's this overarching conversation that kite man is playing in his head between him and his son. And at first, it's like this whole thing, you know, like when parents are going through divorce and one parent is bad mouthing the other parent, and the kid hears and how it affects them and how they think, you know. And then maybe a kid brings it up, and it's like to the other parent, and it, you know, it hurts their feelings and how they think that. Well, it's like. Kite Man, as a father, is going through and reliving this as all this bad stuff is happening during the War of jer- Jokes and Riddles. And he's on Joker's side because, you know, of what happened in the previous part one. And it's not going well. <laughs> um, Batman has teamed up with the Riddler because clearly the Joker is the bigger s- psychopath and needs to be taken out. Which, you know, which is pretty obvious in the, that dinner scene, <laughs> I think um but Joker is like getting pissed and he's like asking like what's going on you know and he's like trying to figure it out and, it f- and uh, from this point of view of the book you're only seeing like what's going on with kite man in this for a while but then uh, eventually it's um becomes quite clear you go through a series of events where you see some of the other villains and they explain what has happened to them basically has the bat joins the fight and they're losing you hear about them attacked, so like, Oh, the guy who uses the puppet, he talks about how Batman took his puppet and he's freaking out. You hear about, you know, Killer Croc Queen taking down Scarface. You see Man-Bat being shot out of the air by a Batwing and just a whole series of things. Um, Two-Face holding a gun to poor Kite Man's head. and Oh, that actually, that one was kind of harsh because he's like, oh, um, you know, because they kind of sort of kill him, but not. They leave him for dead, like floating in the water. But over all this stuff happening, you get this really harsh personal story happening. Because the only part I don't get is with the scarecrow comes in at one point And he's like, do you want to you know, wake up into your nightmare? Because si- one of the other bad guys is like, just let the bat win and then you'll be out of it. Because if the bat's not killing people, he's just taking us out of the fight. And if you don't want to be in the fight, that's the way to go down. And the Joker can't blame you for that. But they, for some reason, they keep just leaving him there like and you get these really kind of desolate shots of just kite man alone like in the city and then just like with this overarching conversa- dialogue of his and it's very stark in that way uh one of my favorite parts is um he's flying mr freeze around as like an attack maneuver and um mr freeze is kind of like lecturing kite man. It's like you worry too much my kited friend he's like and he talks <laughs> about how he's a master of science and then all of a sudden there's a batarang and it's cracks his little dome and he's like oh i see we're going to lose very badly <laughs> i thought that was pretty i weird. like that too so yeah like i said they he, they go through a bunch of different villains that he's going with him, but still the repeated notion of he's being left alone and then there's this great kind of monologue where the joker that like, he's like up on stage and he's giving like a pep talk like we're down but we're not out <laughs> right and he's going on and on like we're triumphant you know i'm like oh he got status he's awarding status great <laughs> Sorry, game reference. And then it turns to the audience, and it's this huge amphitheater, and you just see Kite Man down the bottom going, clap, 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 the Joker. So all of Joker's side has been taken out, and it's just Kite Man. <laughs> and there's this whole thing about how, you know, he's a loser, and he's just a joke. That's the dialogue I've been mentioning. And how, like, all you can do is laugh at yourself when it gets to a certain point, and just accept the joke because then you're not alone. At least you're like laughing in with the people who are laughing at you. And you see another fight where he gets a fist of cuffs with Bat, and the Bat's just like, "Stay down," and he's like, "He can't because he's already so low. He has nowhere else to go." Basically, he's really feeling sorry for himself. There's just this huge weight, and the Bat eventually captures him. And oh, this is where it, this is this, this it guts me. I was just gutted. You know, you hear this conversation about the kid talking to him about flying the kite, and the kid doesn't like the kites as much because he can't ever get them up in the air. And the dad's saying, "Well, I'll help you," and the kid's like, "Really?" And he's like, and the kid's like talking about the joke. It's like, "Well, then the then I'm a joke too, and we'll, we can laugh together, and it'll be funny." And then you then you're just completely reminded about what happened with his son, because then you see the bat with the Riddler, and the Riddler just saying like, "I knew you would squeal, even though I." killed your son and all this i was just like it's like not only did i kill the thing that means the most to you i just played you as my pawn and such a fool already as someone who already thinks i'm a joke and he's just like in your joke and you're, joking, you're weak and you're cowardly because you're and then he replies kite man and then you see the riddler get down in his face and say, hell yeah and that's where it ends it's like poor kite man and i can't believe the batman let him like would do that i understand he's desperate. But, dude, this dude lost his son. And he's, you know, he's just like a D list villain. So he's not like the worst enemy. And just to play him like that, oh.
0: Well, okay, so remember at the beginning I of think this the War of Jokes and Riddles? hmm. Batman was telling Selena, you need to know what I had to do. This yeah. was some brutal shit. This is, it was fucking brutal. heartbreaking. Because, he, well, he basically killed his child
2: by taking it out to play with the kite?
1: Yeah.
0: It's something he always was trying to get his kid to do and he finally talked him into it. And that one time...
1: Yeah, he didn't know the Riddler poisoned it.
0: That's why he's bawling his eyes out. Mm
2: -hmm. I never thought I would have incredible sympathy for Kite Man and also find tons of parallels between him and the Bat. Because one thing the Bat has is that he always gets up, right? They talk about that all the time. Like, it's okay to fall down, Master Bruce, but we get up and we fight. And Kite Man is talking about that as well. That you can't stay down because then you're the joke, so you have to keep getting up. Like, you can't be afraid. You can't stop because you're going to fail. He knows he's not that good, and most things he tries to do aren't going to end that well, but he has to keep trying, otherwise that's the real defeat. And I thought that was a really interesting parallel between him and Batman.
1: Yeah. And he's only kept going because, you know, he wanted to make his son proud, even though his son is gone. And then just to have it come back around that the reason why he's fighting so hard. And then they kind of use that again as another kind of punch to him. It's
2: so harsh. I feel like kite man here has a real strong parallel to death of a salesman. Very similar ideas and themes here. That like the everyday man who's like trodden down and wants respect, you know, that he's paid, he's due some attention and respect. I just mm-hmm. thought that was really great. And Tom King in this, he shows you how good he is with getting right to the heart of characters and even ones that you don't think are cool, making them cool in just a page or two. Like the thing where he has the thing with Tweedledum and Tweedledee and they're finishing each other's sentences.
1: Yeah. That's
0: cool. That was creepy part- hard to read.
1: It was creepy and hard to read, but I think that was the point. Yeah. <laughs> like there yeah. that those are confusing characters, people to be around. And that they are disturbing.
2: He's done things with Scarface before, but here that was pretty creepy too. Um I thought the thing with Two Face was pretty interesting. The part with um I didn't where was the one where The Mad Hatter? Yeah, I thought the Mad Hatter one was cool because he's giving his whole big speech about, ooh, a land of mystery and nothing makes sense. You know, we're in a wonderland and then that trope where your person you're traveling with just disappears. Yeah, and then you just see like the bat swoop down and there's just his hat sitting <laughs> on the ground. Mm-hmm. That was cool. And the Joker's...
0: Tom King just gets Batman. He does. He gets Gotham. He The whole fucking thing is he does it perfectly. I've never seen somebody do Batman this well. He gets the entire fucking place. All the characters with all their color. He gets them perfectly.
1: He makes me excited to read Batman again. Like these are like, and the way that he seated in Kite Man from even way back from bef- the issues way before before even Jokes and Riddles started, there was just appearances of Kite Man, so you got used to him. But you know how he kind of was seeded into all those stories of like even with like the Gotham Girl and all that kind of stuff, you would see Kite Man make appearances, and we're like, oh, Tom King loves Kite Man, okay. But then to then just to bring him into this huge like focus. It's like it really had that build and that momentum. And I love how it's like all played off, even though it's heartbreaking, Tom King, heartbreaking. I really think
2: his life experiences, we talk about right what you know, and it's ridiculous to think that someone could have experiences that make them understand Batman. But when you're and we've talked about this before, when you're a counterintelligence agent in the middle of the Iraq war and seeing what all these factions do that are killing each other and blowing each other up and there's all this madness and you have to step into that and then you also have to be able to step out of it and keep your humanity like when he was writing it he said he wanted to have stories where Batman has to walk through you know puddles of blood and dead bodies but still hold on to his sanity and the parts of him that are Bruce Wayne and I just think those are things that you have to have gone through hell yourself to understand
1: and the coloring, Jordy Blair on um, point. Like the artwork is gorgeous too.
0: And they changed artists out on us. It's not Mikkel Jannon, but it's still he was fantastic.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The art
2: the art's top notch. The writing is top notch. This is a brutal, brutal story that has great character insights.
1: And like how eat the book each book is not put out the same and like we've mentioned before, the the dinner one was a completely different pacing and tool of the story than the, how this one is set up. I like how they're, it's not just formulaic, it's completely a different type of way to tell the story, the same story. And I, I like that because it's different and intriguing. And it keeps it interesting, let alone that the writing's good enough that you don't need to keep it interesting. It helps the way it's laid out.
2: He knows how to use these tricks of writing without making them seem like tricks. Did he's able to, like, if he took away all the tricks that he uses, and he just told the story in a straightforward way, it'd be pretty good Batman, but he elevates it with his writing. He goes that step beyond, and that makes it truly special.
1: This would have been up there for if it was my pick of the week. I loved it.
0: It was, it was tough for me. I almost picked this book. And actually, I, I handed it over to you. But I, I just... Yes, thank you. <laughs> I need, we, we, we need, this is, I mean, it's tied. I'm, I'm actually going to rate this one, like, my score is higher on this book, but I just, the Generations book was just, felt good.
2: Right. Well, remember, it's it's
1: favorite book of the week. It's not yeah. necessarily the yeah. best
2: book of the week. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Are we ready to rate it, or we have more to say? I think we're good. All right. I'm going to give this five, yeah, I'm a joke. Or, okay, I'm a joke, I should say.
0: I'm going to give it 4.75, hell yeah.
2: Oh, you took mine. <laughs> I will give it four and a half. We can laugh, right?
1: Me and you, Daddy. It'll be funny. Dad, uh, oh, fuck you. No, uh, I I saw that and one. I'm like, I can't do it. It's too sad. It's so sad.
2: So sad. Like you would not think that Kite Man could cut you to the heart, but damn you, Tom <laughs> King. Yeah. Seriously. So I'm gonna take us over to something a little less emotionally impactful. <laughs> <laughs> little less. Over to Venomverse number one from Marvel Comics, written by Colin Bunn, art by Eben Quello, colors by Matt Yackey. So Venomverse is kind of in the same vein of the old Spider-Verse series, which was really good. This is maybe not. So not on the same level. It's not horrible, but it doesn't have, I think, the same impact. So the story is that the Venom symbiotes are being hunted just like spider The spiders were being hunted by those vampires. There's these things they call poisons that are these almost like black and white, washed out things that can appear like important characters from your past. And they try and touch you when you have the Venom symbiote, and then they absorb you and you become this monster that hunts, hunts down other ones. So uh, Eddie Brock is out doing his, you know, Venom from the 90s thing, uh, beating people up and he gets teleported in here and he meets one of these things. And it looks like this little kid who's asking for help and he goes to, you know, help the little kid. And you see this black, uh, captain America shield. It's like the captain America shield covered in like the venom symbiote, like crack into the kid's skull and like kill him. And venom's like, what the hell, man? Like, what, what did you just do? And he's telling him, I don't have time to explain right now. We need to get to safety. But that kid wasn't, that wasn't a kid. That was a very dangerous enemy. So they go along to like the Venom Superbase, and they find all these other Venoms that you find out there's a Doctor Strange that got possessed by the Venom symbiote that is gathering all of the Venom symbiotes from other alternate realities and dimensions and, you know, not just the 616 from the other dimensions. And you see lots of different characters that have been infected with the Venom symbiote here. So there's a ton of them. There's even a little rocket, uh, yes. <laughs> symbiote who's putting together, uh, who's like repacking bullet shells while they're talking to him. Best part uh, of the book. There's a ghost rider. There's T'Challa is in there, Captain America, Wolverine. So these are all what both if, both Wolverines. Yeah. What if the Venom symbiote had found someone else? Um, and they've all been pulled together in here. And then you find one of those poison things that I was talking about that, uh, took control of the Hulk and the Hulk smashes in. And once they've taken control of a hero, you can fight them. You can still touch them. Before they've taken control of somebody, you can't. If you touch them, they're going to take you over. So they're fighting this poison Hulk, and Captain America kind of makes his stand against them so everyone else can get away. And Rocket blows up the tunnel so the Hulk can't follow them. And then Spider-Man and Venom end up teaming up together. And you get a lot of that, like, I don't like you, you don't like me kind of deal. And they end up fighting uh, a poison Doc Ock. And there's actually a really kind of graphic scene where Spider-Man gets impaled through the stomach by one of the tentacles that Doc Ock has. And he's waiting for the venom symbiote to heal him. And one of those little things, you see it through form. And it's like this weird, angular, almost like alien bone creature with this weird... Pumpkin head type thing. They look really weird.
1: I'll say it looks like a head of garlic with like weird scythe.
2: Yeah, they look really strange. They don't look bad. It's just really hard to describe. Like, I don't have words to really describe what they look like. He's like, back off, you little bastard. Yeah, so they're fighting, and you actually see this scene where Peter Parker's lying on the ground, bleeding out, waiting for his venom suit to heal him, and Aunt May comes up to him and is like, come on, Peter, we're going to get you out of here. Uncle Ben's waiting for you, and he reaches out to, you know, take your hand to be pulled away. And that's when you find out that that's one of those creatures that can appear like someone from your past. And you get a picture of Peter Parker, who's now, like, the Poison Spider-Man. And he's going to fight Venom, who's got this piece of rebar (laughs) that he's fucking stabbing people with that's covered in blood and gore. So, the book, it's, the book is alright. It's action-packed. It's got a storyline that's kind of interesting. I really don't like... The Venom, the Eddie Brock Venom. I think it's a really poor choice to tell the story because he's not very sympathetic to me. Maybe he's really popular with other people. I mean, Venom is one of the most popular Marvel characters, but I think the Flash version of the Venom is way more interesting. So I think this suffers mostly for me from the fact that it's a main character that I don't like. So I don't find him heroic or interesting. But the actual storyline is not too bad. What do you guys think of it?
1: I'm kind of along the same lines where like I've never been like, oh, hey, let me go read a Venom comic. I'm never like in the mood for a Venom comic. Yeah, when Flash is the Venom, is run, rolling around in, you know, with the Guardians and stuff like that. It's cool. I can accept him. He can be in, but I'm still, it's not my favorite. But so far with the Venomverse comics that we've read, they've all been a little better than okay. Like, I've actually kind of enjoyed them and found parts of them really interesting over the... The course of them this one obviously yeah it is actually packed it's very comic booky yeah. if that's like a word but it gets its points for me because that rocket is super adorable venom rocket that's with his cousin and his bad attitude really lends himself to being working well for venom i think i would read a venom rocket comic but <laughs> you know then again i love rocket so it goes up a few points in this book but um yeah i mean it's okay it's not bad it's not unreadable okay for what it is I'm just yeah I'm not a huge Venom fan Matt so. I know
2: you are definitely not a Venom fan what'd you think of this
0: I, I fucking hate Venom I think well, one I hate Todd McFarlane and he's one of the people that helped create Venom um I loved the black suit in the 80s I thought it was really cool but it was like I had the black suit as like a toy because it was really more before i kind of really got deep into comics and in comics were just something i I was constantly reading but i didn't just associate shit for some bizarre ass fucking reason so i didn't get the suit and then years later when i was i was like reading venom and i'm like fuck this hate or or reading spider-man had venom in it and he's just he's just this unbeatable bad guy and i hate unbeatable bad guys i think they're fucking stupid um, like, everything that Spider-Man can do, he can do better, and then everything, every defense Spider-Man has, he has something that he can counter it, and I just, th- the character's cheap and lame, um, and I think he's just made to make, you know, 90s metalheads have a character that they can like.
2: He is very, very
0: 90s. He's all fucking yeah. ripped and burly, and, you know, he's got the tongue everywhere, and he just looks like the side of a fucking band.
2: Not in a good way Thor
0: like like you know people I don't know the Cra van might buckled.
2: might pull ahead like a, for that that's
0: this is, I mean he's like the side of a, a van of somebody who likes Pantera right? right like a lot of fucking pantera like they fucking love Pantera like <laughs> just they can't get enough of pantera and and just kind of like i can't understand the lyrics of any of these fucking songs i just hear a lot of screaming and really loud guitar that's venom to me that said for what it is this is a very good book and venom fan will probably like it a lot it's a lot of Venomness. but i i agree also i prefer the flash thompson venom uh, he was there too and he didn't say a fucking thing
2: Well, I mean, he did say a few things about how Eddie Brock makes the Venom symbiote worse, and that the Venom symbionts are not necessarily evil. You know, that if they bond with, like, the right people, they can be really useful. And he does have a big-ass fucking fifty cal machine gun that he turns on the Hulk that was kind of cool.
0: That's fair. But, I mean, he didn't do anything more than it. I mean, he was just another expositionary character. Yeah, all of the other Venom's there were just expositionary characters. This literally, I did Eddie think Brock's the only real character in this book. Everybody else is there to to explain what's going on.
2: Yeah, and I did think it was kind of weird that the Wolverine characters have their claws out F- when F- they're just F- talking F- to people, like because they really want you to recognize that that's Wolverine. Like, that's...
0: <laughs> just in case you didn't get this, this is Wolverine. Yeah. So and I mean, Venom.
2: like we said, for what it is, like if you maybe are in high school. And you like, (laughs) no, I'm dead serious. You know, there are readers who just like comic book shit where people punch the fuck out of each other and it's badass and that's what this is. You know, I I don't want to discount that that that's necessarily bad. If that's what you like, this book is pretty rad. I personally don't care that much for it because I don't think it has what takes a book from being pretty rad to actually being good because it doesn't have characters that are that interesting. But, you know, if that's your jam, jam on. So I will give this... Uh, three. Come along, dear. Uncle Ben is
1: waiting for you back home. Um, oh, snap! I gave it three venom rockets because you know that's what I'm gonna
0: pick. <laughs> I'm gonna give it three pieces of rebar shoved through. Stock uh poison Dr. Octopus's head. Cool. Let's head over to uh, a world that's a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Uh, the next book that we have is Journey to Star Wars, The Last Jedi. Captain Phasma, number one by Marvel Comics. Written by Kelly Thompson. Art by Marco Chichetto, And colors by Andres Mosa. I'd like to take a moment just to apologize for everybody whose names we have to say. We're very sorry. <laughs> we do try. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like
2: that was right. my one of my missions when I went to the portland comic con uh this time was to find artists and actually ask them how to say their names, <laughs> but n- <laughs> yeah, just record them all.
0: <laughs> that's a brilliant idea <laughs> that's what we need to do when we're asking these cons for like press passes like we need to come so that we can figure out how to say these people's names <laughs> on our podcast
1: <laughs> we and this is our thing to be. Hello! This comic is by, and then play the little sound by (laughs) their name. (laughs) It's just them. Dennis (laughs) Hopeless!
0: (laughs) This one we've had already kind of figured out. Gail Simone! We're collecting. If you'd like to have your name read off on here by yourself. (laughs) (laughs) So, this story is basically uh, the last few minutes. I think literally about the last 15 and a half minutes of... The Starkiller base, uh, and it's the story of what was Captain Phasma doing because Phasma was kind of marketed as this like new Boba Fett badass look at.
2: She kind of you know, lived up to Ma. her Boba Fettness though, if you actually look at what Boba Fett does <laughs> you, in the movies. This
0: is serious. This is true. <laughs> yes,
1: you throw She's throwing in a trash compactor.
0: <laughs> they marketed her as being awesome. She's barely in the fucking movie. <laughs> And then, poof. But then they're like, no, no, no really, she's awesome. It would have been a
1: waste of Gwendolyn Christie, because Gwendolyn Christie is awesome.
0: <laughs> Seriously? god uh, goddamn. <laughs> Just, and she doesn't even seem all that tall in the movie. But, anyways, I digress. So, in this, it's basically the story of what Captain Phasma was doing while everything else was going all to hell. Uh, and it, it literally has... Like scenes that are cut out of episode seven. There's the battle going on with the, you know, the X Wings and the ties, uh, just above Starkiller Base. Starkiller Base itself is starting to fucking explode. And it's just, it's Phasma walking through going, well, what the fuck is happening? She, she doesn't fucking care that the place is being destroyed. She's just like, I've got to figure out what's going on here. No, no, no
1: it's because she's a shady, um, conniving bitch (laughs) it's
2: like every imperial officer is always only concerned with their own
1: she's covering her own ass
2: (laughs) it's very in like the vader comic tradition in here actually
0: she to me she felt like she was like she had this weird sense of law and she felt that this guy was her target and she was gonna hunt this guy down oh i think she's trying to blackmail that fucker
1: look so she went into a race that was her passcodes that dropped the shields. And then she stopped for a second and she's like, Oh, wait, have the files been accessed before I had a chance to erase them? And then she said, and then it told her, told her that that one officer. <sighs> Saw that the logs, and so she was when she was getting out there and reporting that it was him, and so she was taking trying to take him out so he couldn't counteract what she her story was going to be.
2: That's why it's kind of cool sometimes where their narration doesn't match the action that's happening on the page because like what you see is what really happened, but her like log report to the empire for what happened is like her fake cover story about what happened.
0: Well done people. Well done. <laughs> um, I, I totally, I, I missed that. That's what she was doing. Cause it, I'd forgotten that they forced her to put her code in to drop the shield. But yeah. So, okay. So yeah, she does that, <laughs> but then she notices this guy and she's tracking him down and she's literally goes, all. she's like
1: a fucking ass. Terminator going after him. Yeah.
0: Seriously. She's terrified. She has the
1: harpoon snare and everything.
0: I'm like, this needed to be in the goddamn movie.
1: <laughs> Some billowy cape action? I love it.
0: <laughs> Seriously, she's got the cape. She repels down the, like, across the the cavern that doesn't really totally doesn't need to be there. Um, but why not? Um, she runs across a couple more of the stormtroopers, and she's just walking by, and they're like, stay here and die, motherfucker. <laughs> Cause she's trying to track this guy down, so she walks through the snow. You see the battle uh, between—I think at this point it's Ray. She's wanting witness. Yeah. Yeah. So like the chasm opens up. She climbs up out of the chasm. You can see the fucking lava, And, and it's there's narration because it's her report and all that. But there's not really any like talking in this it's the it's literally if you didn't have the narration it this would mostly be just this silent walk of this like dreadnought basically coming to fucking kill someone um and then she you know gets there she gets a pilot uh to launch them up and what is the name of the new BB- bb9e I, i'm betting that's bb9e i
1: thought the same thing
0: yeah um but in in the basically there was a BB9E. We're just gonna say it here. We declared it here, four color nerds, uh, copyright. Um, but then, like, literally, fine. You can say in here whatever. Just get them to shut up. Uh, and then the whole fucking place goes up as they're exiting the Star Killer base. And, and you just basically, hey, here's my report, and it's to be continued until next time. Where we're basically gonna watch a manhunt.
1: Yeah. I like, I, though I heard during filming, the robot's name was BBH8, which you know, for like hate, and I thought BB8. that should have been better, <laughs> but they changed it to Nine E, which kind of sounds like neener neener to me. But <laughs>
0: <laughs> I would have liked hate better. Me that would too. Be more appropriate, but I bet they were thinking that was a little bit too tongue in cheek. Yeah,
2: I think this was both. Well, this book is serves has a very clear purpose that it has to serve. It's trying to bridge you from one movie to the next. So the story starts in a place we know and it has to end somewhere that... I feel like it's constrained by that. But I feel like Kelly Thompson took that and made a really kind of an interesting story given those constraints. I like the duality of what's going on on the page that her actions often do not match what she's actually doing. I thought that was cool. Just feels like a Terminator you know, chasing somebody down from the point of view of the Terminator. I feel like
1: when sometimes they have those types of books that are bridged or that they feel like they need to put a book out to make money. They feel very contrived and not that great. This one is actually interesting. It's serving its purpose. It's making a character that wasn't as interesting in the, in the movies actually have a purpose and a point. You're getting more of a sense of her personality, so it's building more of a fandom for her for going into this movie. It's introducing a character, a new droid that is already being highly marketed. Like all those toys just came out on the first with like Target and everything. That droid has toys already, like, big time. So I think this is really helping. And it's actually really done well. I like that kind of whole, not necessarily usual suspects, but that kind of thing where you're seeing what they actually do, but you're overhearing them tell the lie. So even though in their memories they know what happened, they're, you see her spin to it, to the um, Empire. So I think that's kind of neat. And it makes her a more interesting character by far.
0: It, it is. It's one of those serving-a-purpose books. It's uh, getting us ready for fucking episode eight, which is going to be so motherfucking sweet. Um, or it'll <laughs> let me down terrifyingly and I'll cry for days. Um, but I think it's going be so motherfucking sweet. But it's basically getting us ready. Um, I'm expecting there to be a whole bunch of, like hey, let's get ready for the next movie books, or at least a few. Uh, They had those with uh, Episode 7, and then through Episode 7 they had not really a bunch of post stuff, but there's there's not really all that much that's going to be out there that's kind of past that kind of stuff. So um, I I thought it was fun. It served a purpose. The art was a little annoying to me. It was very well done, right? Don't get me wrong. The art is fantastically... uh, done but it's there's a certain art quality that i end up seeing when it's one of these we got to get this book out for this marketing reason kind of books um it's it's really well done but it's not as comfortable as like the mainline yeah. star wars books
1: well, it's gonna really be hard to draw chrome though
0: <laughs> that is also fair Chrome's a you
2: know most first. licensed books or like tie-in books are usually steaming piles of shit uh this one this one is not yeah, and this one was not it's because I think, in general, for those kind of books, they don't need to put any quality or originality behind it. And I think, in fact, in most of those cases, originality is not encouraged. But I feel like Kelly Thompson here took the limitations that she had and really really tried to do something other than just crank out a piece of shit book to sell some copies. Like, she's actually trying to tell an interesting story here.
1: Yeah, I went into this with not high hopes. Because Theo... The Star Wars books have been kind of hit and miss, you know, like Dr. Aphra I really liked, Vader Down was amazing, but then there'd be like the weird Force Awakens one was just them basically wrote a scope in a comic book version, so, <laughs> you know, I wasn't sure what we were going to get, and I was pleasantly surprised.
2: That's literally movie. what the, oh Maybe. my god, it looks so fucking terrible. I think that was the only Star Wars book that I gave either one or one and a half stars to. It was fucking awful.
0: Jesus. We get very few one or, or, or like the one zones oh my god I, I i didn't even look at it because i'm like i already saw the fucking movie it was, it was it exactly. was so bad it made me like
1: i was really hoping they're going to give you like some insight like things that were cut from the script or you know scenes that were removed or something yeah like nope. here in the <laughs> not space not that she
2: all. has she expands out the knowledge of the universe you know and that's what you want to do with these kind of books you want to build it out without contradicting anything so well done yeah. still not you know My favorite Star Wars book. Not great, but it's a perfectly serviceable
0: read.
1: It's no Vader down, but but it's still good.
0: (laughs) I will give it three and a half deleted records.
1: I gave it three and a quarter with all due
2: haste. Uh, It's so hard to find something because there's not that many words in this book. (laughs) (laughs) Here we go. I will give it three, man your post, FN1728, until you are
1: otherwise ordered. Nice. Still in space, but future space. Still in space. All new Guardians of the Galaxy number nine. Marvel Comics written by Jerry Duggan. Pencils by Mike Hawthorne. Inks by Terry Pallett and colors by Jordi Belair. Yay, Jordi Belair.
2: <laughs> she does
1: great work. So first of all, I just need to get this out of the way before I get into it. I really do not like very much how Groot is drawn in this book. I, I feel do not like, like the art here either. He has like a weird douche ponytail that kind of reminds me of like a man bun, but it's a ponytail and I, I really don't like it. So just just getting that out there because it, 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 it was really distracting. Like there are some really like heartfelt scenes in I think in this one, which I'm going to get to. But I feel like that thing was just very distracting.
2: I also feel as long as we're shitting on the art here, the rocket kind of looks like a
1: stuffed animal in this. And I don't like that. For some of them, yeah, there was like, yeah, it wasn't consistent because there's some that were Rocket. I feel is really drawn well, and, uh, but most of it, he, he wasn't. He was just kind of goofy.
0: Yeah. I, I don't know why it's so hard to fucking draw Groot. Yeah, he's a goddamn
1: tree. There are some that are amazing artists who draw him, and they're great. And then there's other ones where he looks like a goofy like toy that kind of got melted in the sun. I don't. it's just.
0: Yeah, he's like, he's like got Iron Man armor made out of wood with dreadlocks. I feel like they're trying to give him, oh, like, an luck. Iron
1: Giant face in this, and it's just not. Yeah. And then, like, the weird kind of almost Nova Corps symbol carved into his chest, which, you know, could work, but if it doesn't here. <laughs> it's weird. It's like, yeah. Anyways. Okay, yeah. Art, not so great. Rocket and Groot are on a little mission. They're going to, like, this, like, ring planet. like like a... It's like a big space flea market, okay? And, you know, some lady aliens see Rocket who know him, and they give him some love. He's like, hey, there's more where that came from. But they're on their thing. I guess he's been, like, kind of bribing and, like, butter and palms. Is that grease and it? palms. Is that, is that how the term goes? Grease and palms. There we go. Butter, butter, <laughs> butter grease. Is I can see thing. Rocket
2: misinterpreting so that shoot. idiom and trying to use butter to bribe people.
1: <laughs> that would be so awesome. Well, well, it's really funny because at first he goes, is your mom like the crabs I gave her? And I did like a double take when I was reading it. I'm like, Oh, he literally sent her crustaceans. Never mind.
0: That was so good.
1: Because it just followed him with like the aliens all smooching up on him. So when the next scene happens and he says that, it makes you, at least it makes It's me also think really sad.
2: great page design, like layout when they do that because that line is on one page. And then so that kind of leaves it hanging there as like. Oh, sick burn from Rocket. And then you flip the page, (laughs) and it explains what he's actually saying. So I thought that was a good layout.
1: So they're doing this thing to get these plans for that. Basically, remember the heist at the beginning of this run? Because it's another of those flashbacks. They're trying to get plans from this guy. And then like this weird pressure shift is happening, and Groot's trying to give Rocket a warning. And, like, Death randomly appears, or someone who looks like Death, you know, Scythe, Cloak, and all. And, you know, aliens start shooting at him and attacking him. Rocket goes to town, because Rocket thinks it's there for him, you know. And it finds out that Thing wants Groot, and he really, like, damages Rocket, and Groot picks him up to go save him. While this Thing keeps talking, I'm like... I'm here for you. Um, you know what you're for. And like, I like how when Rocket gets knocked out, the story kind of goes, what's, what happened next is kind of hazy. So Rocket doesn't really understand, but this is like Rocket retelling the story. Groot runs. I like how you see him carrying him by the tail. Like, Groot's just hauling ass out of this market to their ship that's kind of parked out in the jungle. Cause I, th- I think
2: Groot recognizes base. what the person is.
1: Yeah. Well, it sounds like it, like it clicked, and so he's getting him in there. Um, you see, Groot, um, root himself. He
2: doesn't. He doesn't root himself when that mm-hmm. when that guy attacks him with that scythe. Scythe. There's
1: no look. So he throws he throws Rocket into the ship, slams it, and then it, there's a scene coming from the ground up where you see his foot right, but to Groot's not doing that. To the
2: ground. He got poisoned by that scythe oh. that that guy hit him with. That's causing him to root himself to the ground. That's
0: why he can't get ah, in the ship okay. and be with him. Okay. Yeah. So that guy mm-hmm. is Ord Zions. He's also known as the Gardener. He's one of the Elders of the Gardner, Universe.
1: Okay. Well, he does call himself so the Gardener, but I didn't know. I figured you'd chime in with that.
0: He's related to the um, the collector and the games. Was Gamekeeper. Game Master. Game
1: Master. Yeah, you're right. So this is where it gets. This is probably what's coming up, is probably for me the best part of the book. It has that emotional kick. Um, Groot does what Groot does. He, with his good heart, he saves Rocket, puts him in the ship, and like slams him in there. And it's like I'm gonna stay and save you, and you know, you get the emotional thing. And he he jams the autopilot to engage, and you see like Rocket screaming through him, and he says, "You are Groot." It's like it's a callback to the We Are Groot, but uh, it's like as the ship's taking off, and like Rocket can't do anything. He's trapped and having to watch it. He sees his friend just get sh- like cut in two. It's like, and there's that, this is where I thought he was drawn. Well, he was where he's leaning on there and he's crying and he's saying like, yeah, oh, that looks very different takes than the rest
2: away. of the panels.
1: Exactly. That's what's like, it's not consistent. Draw Rocket like that. And I love the over, um, the over dialogue about this when you, cause you see Rocket's dialogue, but then his memories of it, when he's talking about it, like, that's the lowest moment in my life. My best friend was dead. Like those were like, I thought that was probably the most emotional impact of the book. Like, it's really cool to read. Yeah, but then you see, like, Decimated Groot, which is really sad for someone who's a fan, like, bits and pieces, and this Gardener guy is just, like, crushing him to bits. Like, like, mulch. Making mulch. Yeah. Oh, hey, Jinx, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and he's saying, it's like he's basically saying you have a purpose, and you don't have to serve the meat people, and you're, um, I honor your sacrifice, Lord Colossus, and you're gonna bring balance to the cosmos. And then just after he's mulched, you know, there's the Overtark uh, from Rocket where he's like, he's dead. And this panels and panels of just snot-nosed Rocket punching things and crying. Very emotional. Until so, Just
0: blubber tears.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah. Like, you just really see about how, close, how how much Brute actually means to Rocket. And then uh, he gets a splinter, and the splinter has a little face. And he's like, you sneaky son of a gun. And he's like, I should have known you had a plan. So that's, that's when he goes back to wherever they're building the galactus spot and you see like its shell which i thought that was a nice little nod i wanted to see the shell and there's a cute little interaction between peter and and rocket you know about you know do you guys have do you guys can take turns being a-holes and he's like we need shifts between coordinate shifts between you and Gomorrah. but he's like rushing and there's like a really emotional kind of dialogue of him like i'm gonna save you i'm gonna give you water he's basically at a time limit trying to save Brute. And this is all coming down to explaining how why Groot has stayed as baby Groot, which I think is a neat little tie in. But what's interesting, so you see him like kind of, you know, him, him rescue him. And there's a close up of his eyes. And then you see like a little camera in his eyes, which reminds you that, you know, he was manufactured and he was built and created for something. So there's maybe a lot of implants that Rocket doesn't know he, he has. And it's an overview Okay, someone has to know who that Mojo. Is. That's Mojo. Mojo Or guy is.
0: From the Mojo verse. You see some X Men shit coming in. Yeah.
1: Here. So like what an insane cliffhanger. So apparently Rocket is like um a reality T V star and they've been watching Guardians of the Galaxy, like those movies are Mojo verse apparently.
2: They did the same thing with Howard the Duck. I don't know if you remember that he was part of that. The, oh, right, right, same right, guy, right.
1: Yeah. Yep. I thought it was familiar, it just wasn't clicking. Yes, that's right. It's old so, X Men
2: shit, the weird stuff.
1: Which I I dig it, it works Um, It's kind of interesting and they're like Oh, but it's funny how they have like a talking dead Next on, for talking, stay tuned For Talking Rocket (laughs) (laughs) So I was amused Um, The artwork was unfortunately Really bad, but there are So this isn't the best of the Guardians Of the all new Guardians that have been out so far But it does have really Key moments and really emotional Ones and I love the tribute, you know I like seeing the Rocket and Groot's Dynamic, so what do you guys
0: think? This has been an emotional fucking week. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck it is, but it's just been like kind of highs and lows. The Generations book was kind of a high. Batman was a real fucking low. Venom versus was kind of eh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this one just oh my god, I can under, I can totally understand the ugly crying. It that got me. And then but I think that the book, the write, the art wasn't super great, but the writing was still yeah. pretty I got good. no complaints about the um, writing. Yeah, they, they got the the story was great. The interaction and the dialogue was fantastic. Um, I'm I'm glad we finally understand why he stuck his baby Groot. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, I agree, it was more important than it was good, but it was it was really on par with the rest of the Guardians books except the fucking art. The art is the only place that I felt that this wasn't good.
1: Yeah, it was like those panels in the middle are good, and then but that beginning half is oof. Yeah, it's.
2: It suffers. And the, the close-up of uh, the gardener, that's pretty cool looking, too.
1: As I was basically saying, like w- once he starts um, going in the ship and, being, and, and taking off, the artwork changes and seems better. Yeah. Yeah, don't be crushing my group. Bad gardener. <laughs>
0: Chris is going to come beat your ass.
1: <laughs> All right. I'm still going to give it four because I think it's important and I really like the writing. So... I'm gonna find the murderous crosshole that did this to you and kill his flarkin' ass. Go ahead, Matt. Oh damn it! I forgot to think you are Groot. Oh well, sorry. <laughs> Go ahead, Matt.
0: I'm gonna give it four Groot splinters in the ground.
2: I will give. I gotta deduct a point for the shittastic arts in here for most of the book. So I will give it three and a half. Deep breath, my friend. When you awaken, you will be returned to your original purpose. Oh, poor fruit. We go over to animosity. So animosity, the rise number three from aftershock, the resistance, written by Marguerite Bennett and art by Juan Doe. So this is the kind of the continuing story of what what happened when animals start getting real and stop being polite. So these animals have awakened to sentience, and they're kind of taking back their place in the world. Some of the animals are really hostile to humans. Some aren't. It's not split among the lines of, like, carnivores are bad, herbivores are good. Like, that's not how it works. The animals have much more personality and, like, free will to that. So there's this human vet who, when this that day happened, that saved this seal that got its arm ripped off by the fucking assholes of the sea, the dolphins, and he saves that creature.
0: The assholes of the sea. <laughs>
1: <laughs> They're the fucking rapists of the ocean. They're fucking terrible. They've said it's been ongoing in Animosity. <laughs> they keep talking about how all dolphins are fuckers. <laughs>
2: yes, that's a big theme in Animosity. <laughs> dolphins are not cool. So, there's San Francisco is ran by Wintermute, who's this wolf Malamute hybrid that there's lots of rumors about, and he's almost like this Caesar from Planet of the Apes type character. He's very menacing, but you're not really sure. Is he just doing what is best for everyone? Is he actually out to kill all humans? What's he doing? So the book opens up and there's these convoys of trucks they've been talking about for the last couple episodes that have supplies that they're trying to get. And you get these images of all these birds uh, attacking. But it's not just like the movie The Birds, which was terrifying enough. These guys have like (laughs) blades and knives that they're carrying. It's Um, easy you put
1: your knives. (laughs)
2: Geese are some mean motherfuckers man they cutting some shit up <laughs> yeah so they they fly in um and you know the truckers are shooting them and they convince them to surrender there's a vulture in there with a shotgun no the vulture <laughs> has a battle weird.
1: axe the lady is holding the shotgun
2: oh you're, you're right you're right you're right but still i <laughs> so then so this lady arrives uh, on a horse and she's a uh, like emissary from Wintermute, And she calls a ceasefire and the truckers surrender. And that's when the fucking asshole geese fly by and slit their throats with those knives. So they like arrest the geese for committing a war crime basically. And they take all the, the ships back. So this doctor has been being held as like an honored guest, but really more like a, you know, well-kept for prisoner. Um, He's a doctor. He's a vet. He can help people. And he's been getting these notes from the the resistance that they're going to meet him and overthrow him. And his guardian is this bat uh, who is going to fake an injury and lead him to the human resistance so they can meet. And he meets up with a little seal and it's kind of cute that she, you know, is in like the hospital uh, ward recovering And he sees that there might be this human vet who he doesn't like the way she's changing the sailing bag. Like she's not doing it right. And it's not clear to me if she doesn't really know what she's doing or if she's actually trying to kill the animal. It's not clear. But he stops them from killing the animal. And then he's sneaking away to meet up with the human resistance. And this is where I think the book gets interesting. Because the human doctor has been wanting to meet up with the resistance because he's kind of afraid of this new animal order that's coming up. But he overhears this meeting that Wintermute is having where he's having a trial for those geese that murdered those people. And he says that, you know, anyone who takes a life, you know, in my kingdom is going to suffer. So he has the geese executed for killing the humans, which the doctor overhears. And that kind of causes this moment of crisis for him of conscience where he realizes that maybe Wintermute is actually good. And Wintermute is so mysterious, I wonder if that was staged for him to oversee. But I don't think so as much, because you find out that this was actually a test. When the Doctor comes into Wintermute and confesses that he's trying to be recruited by the Human Resistance, Wintermute is like, you passed the test. This was all a test to see if you were loyal or if you were going to betray this new order. And Wintermute has this thing that he's been working on, with this engineer where it's like the next step in human, in not human evolution, in animal evolution where he's making hands for these different animals so they have like opposable thumbs. And it's it's really neat. This was originally Christina's book but she couldn't be here so I kind of picked it up for her. And I actually thought this one was kind of neat to see that test that they put the doctor did through. Did you get Wintermute's and, name? That he's uh, like an Alamute and a Winterwolf?
0: Wintermute is the AI in Neuromancer. Oh. I did not know that.
1: I have a, the, for the upcoming next issue, it's a winter mute with like a weird cyborg arm and I, yeah, he's a really
2: interesting character actually, because I still don't know what his, if he's a malevolent force or benevolent. I
1: thought it was a she, it's a he. Yeah,
2: you know, you're right. It's a she, it's a she. Um, so I actually thought this was pretty interesting. The art's pretty good. And I think the story is very interesting and doesn't follow a traditional, Path where the animals are bad, the humans are good, you know, that this resistance isn't necessarily the best thing in the world. So I think it's complex and interesting. What'd you guys think of it?
1: I liked it. I mean, a lot of things you said. I liked when she calls them like you, them, you Christmas turkeys to the geese when they messed up. Um, the only thing that I have com- uh, my complaint about Animosity is that there's the Rise, there's the original story, and then it looks like the next one's called Evolution. They they kind of jump around. And it, sometimes it gives the illusion that you're missing something. Or you very well could if you're not grabbing the right one. And so that I don't like how it kind of moves around like that. But the ones with Wintermute I think have been more interesting. Like we haven't seen the girl and the dog in like a long time.
2: Yeah, that's in the regular Animosity series. I think you're right though that I think she has more ideas to just be contained in one series. You yeah, know, like so she's building in a,
0: this world.
2: Yeah. What do you think of uh, it, Matt? This
0: is actually the first animosity book I've read. Um, oh, okay. I think that the art fits the story, but I don't like the art from uh, just a technical standpoint. I think it looks really scratchy and scribbly. Um, and I don't, I'm not partial to that style of, of art, but I know it has its place. Um, so I, I think it worked well here. Um, it's just not something I would like. Um, <laughs> the, it's weird. I like post-apocalyptic stuff. Um, and, uh, it seems to be a theme this week, um, <laughs> with everything going to hell. Um, but, uh, so this book kind of fits that, uh. But I, I'm a little kind of lost because I, I have no idea what the hell is going on here. Um, but uh, it wasn't bad. Uh, it's just not something I would have picked up if it wasn't already picked. It's just I, I'm, I'm really kind of lost here. It's, it's a book I think you have to know more about to be able to appreciate better. Uh, it didn't really grab me. This this single book didn't really grab me, and I don't really care about the world.
2: I think it's, it's definitely worth picking up and, and reading. Continuing to read. So, so, I will give it three and a half. Carnivores can't digest
0: grass. Tonight they'll eat.
1: I give it three, you fucking Christmas turkeys. Uh,
0: I will give it three references to Neuromancer. <laughs> <laughs> all right so those were our books we read this week you can find all kinds of nerd shenanigans including our other podcasts on original streaming media cut the cord at fourcolornerds.com or our facebook page you can follow us on twitter and instagram you can find the podcast on itunes and google play music
2: on stitcher on soundcloud and
0: on podcast addict be sure to rate
2: review and subscribe
0: and be sure to come back next week for another episode until then keep reading nerds